Jesus is alive. Against all odds, good news burst forth from a sealed tomb, and Jesus of Nazareth was resurrected from the dead. And because his tomb is empty, he instantly separates himself from every other religious leader and self-proclaimed Messiah, because guess what? They're still dead. But Jesus is alive, and his indisputable victory is a documented historical fact. For that reason, on this day, millions of people around the world stop what they are doing to remember and to celebrate Jesus and his power-filled resurrection. George read this just a moment ago. Let me reread what the angel declares in Matthew 28. Don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. For those of you who may not know, we are wrapping up a series called Who is Jesus? It's been a series, we've, we've been in this series since Ash Wednesday, so since the beginning of March. And this series is really designed kind of as an investigative type thing where we're looking at the different details and aspects of Jesus in his life so as to better understand who he is as the Savior of the world. And today, on this Easter Sunday, I want to talk to you about Jesus and his indisputable victory. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking, well, you know, Pastor John, uh, we believe Jesus is alive. That's why we're here. What we want to know is if his, his resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago, if it can make a difference, if it can impact my life today, here and now. And I'm here to tell you, it can. Absolutely, it can. And it can for a couple of different, very good reasons. First, because of Jesus and his indisputable victory, you can live each and every single day knowing you are completely forgiven. Obviously, everybody has regrets, right? Everybody has done, they, they do things that they wish they hadn't done or they had done differently. And I'm sure all of you here, all of you watching online are no different. I mean, there were maybe thoughts that you entertained, words that you spoke, actions that you carried out, decisions that you made that were just flat out bad and awful and wrong and hurtful. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Jesus Christ has set you free from those regrets and that guilt and that shame. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says it this way, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So yeah, because of Jesus, your faith in Jesus, you are completely forgiven. I wonder, have you ever thought about who put Jesus on the cross? Ever just paused and thought about who was it that really put Jesus there? I'll tell you, it wasn't Judas or Caiaphas, the high priest. It wasn't Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, or the Romans. It wasn't the religious leaders, and it wasn't the crowd shouting out, crucify him. Now, when it comes to who it was that put Jesus on the cross, there are only two valid answers. The first answer is that God did. That's right. God put Jesus on the cross because it was part of God's plan to save you and this world. In fact, when Jesus was nailed to that cross 2,000 years ago, he was fulfilling a prophecy made 700 years earlier in Isaiah 53, where it says it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Jesus' death on the cross was part of God's will. It was part of God's plan. 
Second, though, when it comes to who it was that put Jesus on the cross, the second answer is we did. Yep, you did, I did, everybody that's ever been born and ever will be born did. Of course, if we hadn't sinned, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But we have sinned. I mean, let's be honest, we have, right? We make, and we continue to do. We make mistakes and bad decisions all the time. So it is our sin that put Jesus on the cross. We did. I really like how Paul words it this way in Romans 4, verse 25. He says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and then raised to life for our justification. I love that verse because Paul puts Jesus' death and his resurrection as essentially one act, which is what it is. I mean, certainly we need Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus' crucifixion paid for the sins, paid for everything that you've ever done wrong. Okay, paid the punishment. But you also need Jesus' resurrection because Jesus' resurrection demonstrates that his sacrifice on the cross was accepted by God as a sufficient payment for those sins. So you need Jesus' death, but you also need Jesus' resurrection. Right? His death is important, but his, his resurrection is even more important. Because as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But Jesus is alive. Right? He is alive, and his death, coupled with his very important resurrection, means that you can live each and every single day knowing that through faith in Jesus as your Savior, you are completely, totally, undeniably forgiven. Second, because of Jesus and his indisputable victory, you can live each day knowing that you don't have to fear death. I know there are a lot of people in this world who are scared of dying, and I get that. But I want you to know Jesus has freed you from that fear of death as well. And he's done that in a couple of ways. For example, in Hebrews 2, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, Christ too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And here it is, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Okay, so... What does all that mean? It means that because Jesus has taken the consequences of your sin and has nailed them to his cross, you don't have to be, you, know, you don't have to live in fear that someday you're going to be eternally separated from him in a place called hell. You don't have to be afraid of that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus has removed the fear of eternal death for you. And that is something you want to hang on to. That knowledge, don't let that go. Because the devil, he loves to dangle that fear over your head. He loves to accuse you and to threaten you and say, oh, oh, after all those things you've done wrong, are you kidding me? Yeah, you're going to hell. You deserve eternal death. But I'm here to say, thanks be to God, Jesus has set you free. He has set you free from those accusations because he has taken that power away from Satan. You understand that? By his death and resurrection, he has taken that power of the devil to accuse you like that anymore. So what does that mean? It means you don't have to live in fear of eternal death. But it gets better. 1 Corinthians 15 says, death has been swallowed up in victory. So Jesus coming back to life also means that death is not the end of life, right? In other words, Jesus' resurrection proves there is life after death. So that fear is removed too. 
If Jesus, of course, had not come back, he had, he had not come back from the grave on that first Easter morning, then yeah, you, me, and everyone else, uh, this life would be it, and then it would be over. But that, it's not it. Jesus says in John 11, I love these words. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So because Jesus lives, you will live too. Now, of course, the $95 question is, how do you know that Jesus really is alive? How do you know for sure he rose from the dead? And I can tell you, we can know that because so many people saw Jesus alive after that first Easter morning, and it changed their lives. Think about the, the, the disciples, right? Jesus' followers. After Jesus died, they were seriously messed up. They were scared. They felt defeated, demoralized, felt hopeless, and then they saw Jesus and that fear vanished, right? They, they, they were ready to take on the world. Why? Because they saw Jesus alive. Peter talks about this. He says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So the disciples were able to live without fear because the disciples saw Jesus alive. But of course, the disciples weren't the only ones who saw Jesus alive. Jesus was traveling throughout Jerusalem for the next 40 days. So lots of people saw him alive. Paul lists some of those people out. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Christ was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. And here we go. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Then he was seen by James, which was his brother, Jesus' step, his stepbrother, who was not a believer at first, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, Paul says, I also saw him. So for 40 days, Jesus was seen by hundreds of people. And I don't know about you, but in my book, that counts as conclusive proof. Seriously, having that many eyewitnesses to an event will stand up in any court anywhere in the world. Maybe think about it this way. Imagine that I spoke to you and said that last week, as I was driving through the Metro Parks, down here in Millstream Run, real close to us, as I was driving through the Metro Parks, to my amazement, I saw the Queen of England. I saw Queen Elizabeth. I mean, you're standing there doing the whole queen wave, saying, hello, park people. And she was doing all of that. Now, if I had said that to you, you might doubt me. You might doubt me because of my lousy impersonation, but you might also doubt me because I, it's just me, right? I'm just one person. But now let's play this out. Let's say over the next couple of days, you have people coming up to you and say, oh yeah, yeah, I saw her too. She's been in Ohio for like the last 40 days. She's standing at the Best Western in Strongsville. <laughs> and then a couple other people, and I didn't think people would laugh at that, but it was like, <laughs> And then a couple other people come and say, yeah, we had breakfast with her just a couple of days ago. And another person said, yeah, I had supper with her last week. And another person says, yeah, you know, I was at this symposium where she spoke. And there's, I don't know, 500 other of us there. If you had all of those people say, if, if they had, um, if those eyewitnesses had backed up my claim like that, you had heard them say all those things, what would that do to your doubt? It'd be different now, wouldn't it? Because it's not just me anymore. Right? It's eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness backing up my claim. 
And here's where I'm going with this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And because there were hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw him alive, we can know that this is not some myth. This isn't some fairy tale. It is legitly, it's a thing that happened. It's legit. Jesus is alive. And that means death is not the end. It's not. Through faith in Christ as your personal savior, you can know that there's more to life to this than just this life. Much, much more. And it's all because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you, you, can, um, you, you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to. Which leads me right into this third truth about Jesus and his indisputable victory. Because of that indisputable victory, you can live each and every day knowing that you have an eternal home waiting for you. That's right. So for all of you sitting here, for all of you watching me online right now, when you believe that you are forgiven and saved as a gift by God's grace through faith in Christ and him alone, then yes, you can know that death is not the end, but it actually is a transition. It's a shift into something far better, far greater than what we have and enjoy now. And it's a place called heaven. Now, what is heaven like? Well, let's see what 1 Corinthians 2 says. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So in a nutshell, <laughs> nobody knows, right? It is indescribable. In fact, for you as a human to try to understand what heaven is like would be like a mosquito trying to understand the internet. It's not gonna happen, right? Beyond comprehension. It's just not gonna happen. Still, people try, don't they? And as a result, a lot of people today have what I would call a TV version of heaven. And you know what this is, because you've seen it on TV, you've seen it in the movies. It's where you're in heaven and there's this fog that covers your feet, right? Serious. And then, and what, what's the color? It's all white. It's, and there's nothing else. And, and I just, I got a problem with that because if God created all of the different colors of the rainbow, why would he create heaven to be so boring as all white? And the fact is he didn't. Heaven is going to be incredibly breathtaking. And, the, and as we know, the Bible does gives a, give us glimpses of what heaven is gonna be like. Let me just share a couple with you. First, heaven is gonna be a place of perfect beauty. And I say that because God created this world beautifully. Granted, this world is broken, right? We got pollution and wars and famine and disease and all kinds. Nothing works perfectly on this earth. But you can still ooh and ah over sunsets and sunrises, right? Over beautiful mountain peaks and lush valleys, beaches and rivers and lakes and oceans, the diversity of animals and plants, the list goes on and on. Granted, this world is broken. It's far from perfect, but it still has its beauty. Okay, now here's what I want you to do. Imagine, okay, because heaven is a place of perfect beauty. Imagine what heaven's gonna be like. Imagine the sights and the sounds and the colors and the smells and the tastes because that's all awaiting you. It is because heaven is a place of perfect beauty. Second, heaven is also a place of perfect fellowship. I really enjoy Hebrews 12 because it lists out for you some of those who you will see in heaven. Look at this. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. 
you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Wow, I don't know if you caught them all, but certainly when you are in heaven, you are going to see God and all the angels, but you're also going to see all the believers from the Old Testament, as well as all the believers in Jesus from the New Testament up to this point in time. And you're going to have this, this perfect fellowship, which again, we don't experience here on planet Earth because things are broken, right? People have problems with one another. Somebody says something, there's a misunderstanding, there's a reaction or maybe an overreaction, but not in heaven. There's no misunderstanding. There's no quarreling. There's no tension. It's a perfect place. And you're going to have this perfect fellowship with all these people. It will be open and honest and it won't be encumbered by sin. You will be best friends with every single person there. Can you think? Just think of that. All those people that you read about in the Bible, you're going to be best friends with them. People like Adam and Noah, Abraham, right? Ruth, King David, you know, Mary Magdalene, uh, Peter, Paul, all of those people, they're going to be your best friends and everybody else. That's what's waiting for you, a place of perfect fellowship. Again, I could go on and on. One of the more famous or familiar passages about heaven is found in Revelation 21, where it says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The point is that heaven is a wonderful place. And it's waiting for you. And it's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you have an eternal home waiting for you. Finally, because of Jesus and his indisputable victory, you can live each and every day knowing you have God's forever love. Yeah, each and every one of you here. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. And it's not because of who you are. I mean, you can try to get God to stop loving you. It won't work. Because his love for you is not based on you, it's based on him. God says in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love, right? It's a forever love, a love that has always been, a love that will always be. And if you want proof of God's forever love and just the power and the majesty of that love, read verses 16 and 17 of John 3. Very familiar words. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Wow. So when it comes to death, I'm sorry, when it comes to your sin, when it comes to the fear of death, when it comes to the devil's accusations and the threat of eternal death, you don't have to worry because God, in his forever love, has tackled it all for you in Jesus. That's right. And here's the best part. As you enjoy and experience this love of God, as you bask in God's forever love, as you grow in that love, guess what? It transforms you. It changes your life, your heart, so that you become loving to other people. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, of course, it's not love itself that does those things. It's God's forever love, right? That flows into your heart that then transforms you and empowers you to reflect that love to those people out there by the way you live, by the attitudes you demonstrate, by the decisions you make, all of that, all of it. 
bottom line is that because of Jesus and his indisputable victory, you can know that you have God's forever love and you are empowered to live a life of that love that is reflected to those around you as well. Pretty cool, huh? When I started my message, I mentioned to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ can still make a difference in your life today. My prayers as you leave here today, you enjoy this gorgeous day, that you remember that, that you remember that because of Jesus and his indisputable victory, right? You, your sins are forgiven, so you don't have to fear death because you have an eternal home waiting for you called heaven. And between now and heaven, you have God's forever love. Not bad, huh? And it's all because of Jesus. What can I say? It's who he is. So let me challenge you this week. First of all, let me challenge you to connect with God and read the Easter story in Matthew 28. Just a couple of verses. Do it. In, let me challenge you to do it before the big meal. It'll take a minute or two at the most. Read through that and then celebrate the fact that your Savior Jesus is alive. Second, give thanks for the blessings of Jesus' indisputable victory. Give thanks. Maybe this is the prayer before the big meal. Thank God that you have forgiveness. You don't have to fear death. Heaven is your home and you have God's forever love. Right? Give thanks for that. And then third, look for ways to love others by reflecting God's love. Look, not just this week, but every week. Look for opportunities to shine the light of Christ's love into somebody else's situation, into somebody else's world, okay? So that they too can know who Jesus is and celebrate his indisputable victory in their life. All right, well, let's pray about that. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross and of course rising again so that we can live with the confident hope that as a gift of your grace, we are forgiven and saved. Thank you for this glorious day and your indisputable victory that you have won for us all. Lord Jesus, we love you and we pray this in your holy and mighty name and all God's people said, amen. amen.